0: Hello and get ready. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Pastor Steve Castle of Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois, is about to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine destiny for those who are willing to open their hearts to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you will allow the presence of the Holy Spirit to radically display the Father's love for you. You are part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to Pastor Steve. Pastor Steve.
1: We are in currently probably my favorite series that I have ever had the opportunity to be in. This is King and Kingdom. King and Kingdom. I want to remind you at the get-go of this that the King and the message of the Kingdom are the central theme of all things. Jesus is the central person of all things. The Father has made Him the preeminence, it says in Colossians. And in Hebrews, it says that He is far above all other um, aspects of life or existence. And His message, His message was about the kingdom. It wasn't a message. It wasn't part of some of His messages. The message of Jesus was the kingdom. His operation, His healing ministry, His miraculous ministry, was to display the kingdom. Jesus Himself used the Word just in the Gospels. 121 times. Way more than love. (laughs) Way more than love. Way more than whatever you think. Whatever it is you think. I'm telling you that you will find verse after verse after verse. I can read them to you. i got them all listed. I read them all the time. Because I want to say what my what my Savior says. I want to say what my King says. And all the time, he went and preached and taught the kingdom and then put it into display. So how is the kingdom? There's no sickness. How is the kingdom? There's no poverty or lack. How is the kingdom? There's no death. So when you see Jesus healing, it's because that's how the kingdom is. When you see Jesus rescuing the woman caught in the act of adultery, that's how the kingdom is. The kingdom is a place that you go into and you are safe. From the condemnation, the guilt, the shame that's outside of the gates. When you see Jesus stumble upon, literally stumble upon a funeral procession in name and then unprovokedly raises a widow woman's son from the dead it's because that's how the kingdom is there's no lonely widows in the kingdom let's fix it there's no death in the kingdom let's fix it there's no pain there's no misery there's no i could we could do this all day i could say is there any uh, is there any full time jobs in heaven do you have to work overtime in heaven? How many jobs do you have to have in heaven? How many mortgages are there in heaven? So as a mortgage, you can do this. Like, this is really simple theology. You can look at things in your life and you can just say, is it like heaven? Yes or no? If it's not, then it, sh- then it has opportunity to get there. Well, we're, j- we're only human Well, then in that case, we can get you born again. I'm not even being funny. If you think that you're only human, no problem. That's good. Praise God. At least you're honest and transparent and sincere. And we will fix that here today. You can come down here. We're going to have ministers that are going to stack up down here. And they are going to have an opportunity to literally give you a divine life. When a person is born from above, or born of the Father, or born of the Spirit, it says in John chapter 3, you become of the same DNA of your big brother, Jesus. And you become of the God kind. So if you, the reason that you're suffering through this life is because you're only human, well then we can change that. Or you can whine about it and stay and, and let things happen. Or you can blame the devil, because a lot of people do that. Well, we would have a great life if it wasn't for the devil. I know. That's why Jesus was completely unsuccessful everywhere he went. No, he was tempted in all points, like as we are, yet without sin. Why? To show that he's the coolest guy ever? No, to show us that we could do it. He did nothing of himself. John chapter 5, he says, I do nothing of myself. I only do what my father says I can do i'd like to to disconnect right here i 'll just say this, and I think it's uh second it 's either first or second Corinthians chapter ten. It says that um, that when we are tempted, we are tempted only with things such as are common to man, which means all things are tempted. In fact, I need to pull that up because I want to show you something when we were having men's yesterday. Um, Andrew quoted it and it reminded me of a really powerful, uh, revelation that I wanted to, uh, release for folks because I believe that this, um, I believe this has an opportunity to set some people free. Uh, revelation, uh. If you remember the the cake that I baked, the ingredients of the cake. This is why you don't use electronic Bibles. It's literally thinking. First um, Corinthians ten thirteen. In fact, Mitch, just if you don't mind, please put it up. Um, the The recipe for baking the cake of transformation is you need to have information. And then once you get information, you add to it meditation. And then once you have meditated on the information from the heart, it will turn into revelation. And then once you have revelation, you have the empowerment that you need for transformation. I know I just lost some of you. I'll do it again. If you don't have it like... If nobody ever tells you that God heals the sick, you'll be a good Christian, you'll love God, God will love you, and you will die from cancer at 22. Because you didn't know, so you need information. So you have to have information, but you have to take that information and be a grown-up and meditate on it. I can't tell you how many times I've met with someone and they said, well, just tell me what I need to know. (laughs) You are in the wrong office. (laughs) All I can do is present it to you. That's all God can do. He cannot force you to change. And he will not. He presents you information. He presents it to you in love. And if you take it, transformation comes. If you don't take it, then you can complain, whine, moan. You can blame God. You can blame me. You can blame your environment. But it doesn't change anything. Praise God. Information plus meditation Will create. I promise you. If you don't have revelation yet, then just keep adding information and meditation. But eventually, you'll get medit- you'll get revelation. Once you get revelation, you are empowered for transformation. So, First Corinthians chapter ten verse thirteen says that uh, Jesus was tempted. Uh, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. No temptation has taken you, but such is common to man. If you believe that what you're up against is uncommon, you will be taken. I just solved a bunch of problems right there. You might not get it. You might not understand but some of the reasons that you're being defeated is because the enemy has convinced you that what you're feeling, what you're experiencing, what you're going through is unique to you and you alone, and that's why there's really no way for you to be successful yeah. and overcome it.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> dun, 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 if you understand that the same thing that you're being tempted with is the same thing that anybody's ever been tempted with, there's nothing new under the sun, the same thing that he's trying to tempt you with is the same thing he tempted Jesus with is the same thing that he tempts me with is the same thing that he tempts me. And the same spirit that gave Jesus the opportunity to overcome is the same spirit that lives on the inside of you. If you understand that it's just another day, and the devil's just being a devil, and he's just chunking stuff on your plate, and you just kick him between the teeth, and walk on, because your Lord's already been successful defeating him in every way there was to defeat him, and you just walk behind your Lord. It's when people, and I've had people do this to me, I'm telling you, by the hundreds. I've had people tell me, well, you don't know what I'm going through. Which then disqualifies me, or anything that is in me, including God, to ever speak into or help. Because I don't know what you're going through. And what you don't... What a lot of those folks don't realize is that every time they implicate me that way, what they're saying is, God, you don't know what I'm going through. Because if you knew what I was going through, you wouldn't let me go through it. And I hope you get that. That was all for free because that's not part of today's message. In the kingdom... We overcome. I'm going to preach on this, maybe this year. We'll see. But some of you probably know the answer because I said this before, but some of you don't. Does anybody know what the seven churches in the book of Revelation all had in common based upon what the Lord said to them? Some people get close, they say, well, the Lord told them to repent. Nope, he told five out of the seven to repent. Well, he told them to change. You're closer because he told six out of the seven that they had to change. But the church of Philadelphia was actually a really good church. It was like beloved. He didn't tell them to repent or change. He'd, but he did challenge them with the same thing that he challenged all other churches, which was, to him that overcome will I fill in the blank. Which means all seven churches were given the commission, the charge, and the requirement to overcome. Same thing for beloved church. If he wrote us a letter, I'll guarantee you he's going to sign it. To him that overcomes will experience the greatest wealth, the greatest health, and the greatest influence in the region. To him that overcomes. You can sit in here and the person next to you can be experiencing all of that. You can be experiencing none of that. And it's not God's fault. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is no respecter of persons. Started in Acts chapter fifteen, Acts chapter nine. Then it goes to Acts chapter fifteen, Galatians chapter one, Ephesians. I mean, it's it's in like six places just in the New Testament. God is no respecter of persons. You do what they did in Bible. this. Is one thing I learned from Bible college: you do what they did in Bible days, and you'll get Bible results. <clears throat> this uh, this message for King and Kingdom is called treasure, treasure. And I'll remind you that uh, the citizens of the kingdom is the clearest way for you to find out the character and the nature of the potentate of that kingdom. This, uh, we can go to North Korea, for those of you that know what's going on in the world. We can go to North Korea and you can determine the character and the nature of the monarch of North Korea. His character, nature is demonic. People are starving to death. They're not allowed to have any kind of liberty or freedoms. They are persecuted and put to death for believing in Jesus. Uh, the entire economy. I mean, you can look at North Korea from space at night, and it looks like it's in a blackout. South Korea, right next to it, is like glowing like a neon sign. So you can t- you can determine the character of the leader of North Korea based upon the lifestyles of the citizens that he rules over. When folks look at your life, amen. When folks look at your Facebook posts, <laughs> everybody's like, not me. Am I friends with Pastor Steve? <laughs> When folks look at your life, you might not realize it or not, but they do. They make judgments about who leads you. Now, the the cool thing is, is that a lot of people really honestly don't have Jesus as Lord. And I say cool because the way that you live your life, the way you talk, and the way you act would reflect terribly on him if he was Lord. But most Christians just have Jesus as Savior. And so then all of that brokenness that's in you makes a ton of sense because you're broken, 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 broken. You cry out, you moan, you, and then Jesus comes in and saves the day because all you know him as a Savior. And I'm okay with that. In fact, if that's, if that's who you are, just go ahead and be as broken as possible and put it all over Facebook, put it all over everything because Jesus will save you. And then people say, man, if Jesus can save that broken person, he can do a ton with me. But if you call Jesus Lord, Lord means Lord. That means you're not. And Bob referenced this super hard to do in American culture. Ain't nobody gonna lord over me. No, and that's why. I see marriages like this all the time where wives are like, "There ain't no way I'm gonna let
0: that guy."
1: Be in charge. Okay. Well, then you be in charge. Good luck. Because if you get it out of, it doesn't matter what you think. If you get things out of alignment based upon what the Father has determined for things to look, the best you're going to have is the best you can produce. That's the best. Now, if you do it God's way, the best you can have is God's best. Probably a little better than yours. If you call Jesus Lord, then make sure your citizenship represents his kingship well. William Law, who was a 17th century English Christian who uh, had a lot of impact on the church, said, If you have not chosen the kingdom of God first, it will, in the end, make no difference. What you have chosen instead. Your options are kingdom of God first or not. And if it's not, everything at the end would hay double. Matthew 6:33, "But seek ye first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness. And then the king will do this really awesome thing where he'll add to you all the things that you need for your life. Because you as a citizen are doing exactly what your king has asked you to do. Uh, something I learned in track when I was miserable at it. I'm one of the slowest people that you'll ever meet. Um, but I... Try to make up for it by building strength, so don't tempt me. I learned in track that there's only one first place. (laughs) I know that's super contrary to what they're teaching in public education today. Everybody's in first place, everybody gets a trophy, everybody gets a... It's not really true. There's only one first. So if you're seeking first, the kingdom... That means nothing else is being, is being sought first. How do you know what you're seeking? People ask me this. How do you know what you're seeking? Well, you will have your treasure where your heart is. And we're going we're to get to that verse, so just, just follow me. In our culture, for the most part, the things that you treasure are going to be illustrated by your money, your time, and your affection. Your money, your time, and your affection. If your money, your time, and your affection is singularly focused on the kingdom, then you're seeking first the kingdom. If not, then not. Now, you see how there's not anybody in here that I'm trying to make eye contact with so somebody can't say, well, you said that just to me. No, and yes. I'm saying this just to you. Whoever you are, I'm saying this just to you. You can look at your time. You can look at your money. You can look at your affection. And you can determine that fast whether you are actually seeking first the kingdom or not. If you are not seeking first the kingdom... Then the necessities of your life, your food, your clothing, your housing, all the things that you need, that means that you're in charge of it. Good luck. And some people are okay with that. Some people live their lives and they they live completely based upon what they produce and they're okay with that. It's a terrible way to live, but some people are fine with it. If you're seeking first the kingdom, Jesus said that these things are going to be happening naturally, and Jesus is not a liar. He will provide for you a house. He will provide for you things to cover your body. He will provide for you food. He will provide for you the affections and the necessities of your life. I can assure you, the house that Jesus would give you, better than your house. Anybody want to argue? The word seek is uh, zeteo in kone Greek. I want to give you the kind of the, this isn't even really a definition. This is an elongated definition. So just listen um, intently. It's the present imperative active form. And I know that some of you are like, the what? Present, which means present right now. Imperative, which means important or above all importance. And active, which means that it has on the inside of it its own strength, its own ability. Present, imperative, active form of the Greek word zateo. And it depicts a constant attitude to actively and consistently search, inquire, and desire a thing. Furthermore, Zeteo is a command. (laughs) We don't like that in America either. Jesus was literally commanding us to actively and constantly be desiring, seeking after the kingdom of God. Jesus promised that if we did, everything that we needed in our life would be automatically and abundantly provided. Amen. That's his love. He wants to do this. I know that God doesn't get frustrated. I know he doesn't get disheartened. I know he doesn't get irritated, offended, or whatever. I know that. And I'm trying to get there. But I honestly don't know how. Because I have ministered to people. Like my father ministers to people. And there's times I'm like, hey, don't do this, do this. This is better, this is worse. Um, This is bad, this is good. And they flip me the Christian center finger and say, well, I'll do whatever I want. I don't, you know, Jesus is my shepherd, not you. And they go and do their thing, and then bad, 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 bad stuff happens. And then they blame God. Like, God was unfaithful. God didn't do what he promised he would do. I mean, like, for me, it's everything I can do to not, like, have a flesh flash flash. Like, I don't care if you blame me. I get it. People blame me for all kinds of fun stuff. I don't care if you blame beloved. I don't care. I really don't even care if you blame like Ryan. <laughs> and I love him. But when you start blaming my father, are you following me? <laughs> like, I, I can put up with my own persecution. I can put up with Ryan's persecution from afar. But when you start maligning the father, because here's the thing. One time, one place, one instance you malign the Father, you have just removed from yourself His ability to come and be Father in that place. You are literally cursing the solution. And the part that gets me is that you have taken the most perfect, amazing, loving, gracious Father ever. And you have said terrible things about Him in life. And the world does it all the time, right? Because a hurricane is an act of God. It's in insurance paperwork. But don't you know Satan is rejoicing still over that one? Yeah. That people do this uh, in in their uh, kind of broken theology that they have now. Well, God's in charge. God's in control. And I thank God that I've preached it here so that if you come and sit in my office and talk to me, you're not going to say, well, it's just bad stuff and God's in charge and God's in control. And he's going to, don't you dare. God's in charge and God is in control of things in his kingdom. If it's not in his kingdom, he is not in charge. He is not in control. There is a God of this world. His name is Satan. And where Satan is in charge, he has his way. Where God is in charge, He has His way. So you can probably look around, look at your life, look at things going on. You can find out where God's in charge. Is it divine health? God's in charge. Is it sick? God's not in charge. (laughs) Is it political nightmare? Amen. (laughs) Is it political nightmare? God's not in charge. God doesn't rule through confusion and 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 lies and manipulations and power struggles and socialism and that's not who God is. Is God in charge of that? No. I, I know I'm super messing with a bunch of people. He's not in charge. Sorry. That'll mess with your theology. He would like to be. When God is in charge of the government, it's called a theocracy, and it's going to be awesome, and you can read about it in Revelation 19, 20, and 21. It's really, really great. Until then, he's not in charge. Now, what he has done is he has given us the ability to take charge in his name. One of those things that he's given us the ability to do is vote. And not let terrible people get into office unless they cheat. And so that messes up that whole part of the sermon. Stay on track. Stay on focus. Don't be distracted. God is in charge where people give him charge. That's why his lordship is important. That's why the Apostle Paul um, enumerated at great lengths, his willingness to be a servant and the name of Jesus as Lord. Peter did the same thing. Lord. This is why Jesus' physical earthly family struggled. Don't you know he ain't going to call anybody have a sibling? Don't you know you're not going to call your sibling Lord?
0: <laughs>
1: okay, that worked better for... Must have a bunch of single kids in here. Luke chapter 12, which is uh, the core verses that we have, um, Jesus talked about what he wants to do in this lordship. And I'm going to actually start where I haven't started before, because I'm going to read down into one of our core verses. In verse 13 it says, And one of the company said unto him, One of the company, this would be like a, a regular churchgoer, so Jesus had it going on in his church too. And one of the companies said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. That's a good request. Okay, remember, Jesus is God. Right? Everybody? You better amen. Jesus is God. Dear, Don't make me come down there. This would be the same as someone praying and say, God, make my family divide the inheritance. Right? Does it, does it translate? Everybody with me? So what did God say? Yes, of course, I will do that. <laughs> Verse 14, and he said unto him, man, <laughs> I love Jesus. Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? Um, do not raise your hand, don't look at me if you've gone through like a terrible inheritance thingy thing and the family and the stuff and the, and you prayed and cried out and these 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 verses have some revelation for you I don't want to spend a bunch of time here because I, I could turn the whole message into this, but I'll tell you that usually. The reason that you're struggling with all that is because you don't understand your inheritance from God. Ta da! Verse 15. Let's move on before someone throws something. And yeah, there it is. <laughs> and he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. What is covetousness? Based upon what the Lord's saying here, covetousness is you not believing that your Father is going to provide for you, so therefore you are going to have to go out and covet all the things in this earth and produce it on your own. For a man's life consists not in the abundance of the things that he possesses. I will never forget driving down I-30 in Dallas, Texas, headed east over Lake Ray Hubbard, Going into Rockwall, Texas, which is one of the wealthiest places in all of Dallas County. It's right on the edge of the lake, and super super rich people live out there. And I was going over I-30 on the bridge over Ray Hubbard in my Tundra. Is James Sargent here? Um, in my Tundra that has like 400,000 miles on it right now. I'm going over the bridge, and I I drive more expediently than some, so I passed people a lot. was <laughs> a good adjective. And I passed a great big F-350, red with, I mean, it was jacked up to like, he could probably run my truck over, and the lights everywhere, and the things and the stuff, and all the bells, all the whistles, and the chrome, and the wheels, and the stuff, and, and he was pulling a boat that was, Barely, probably going to get under the next overpass. And it was the exact same color, had the exact same chrome. The wheels on the boat trailer were the same $5,000 wheels that were on his truck. And he had a bumper sticker on his bumper that said, He who dies with the most toys wins. (laughs) And I laughed out loud. I'm not lying. I'm driving down the road laughing. I'm like, you poor fool. You poor, poor, poor fool. (laughs) A man's life consists not in the abundance of the things that he possesses. Verse 16, he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. Does that not show the goodness of God? You'll eventually find out that this guy was a super jerk. God blesses jerks. Some of you should say amen. Nobody said amen. (laughs) God blesses jerks. God is good to the ungodly. God is gracious to the ungracious. God is merciful to the unmerciful. God helps clean up mistakes that even you make, not just his own. The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully, and he thought within himself. This was a conversation that took place on the inside of him. This would be a soul conversation, those of you that remember our last series. And he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do? He had a a conundrum. He had to deal with the problem that was before him. The problem was the goodness of God being poured out in his life. What shall I do because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, this is what I'll do. He made a decision. He made a logical, from his soul, decision about what the solution for his problem was. This is what I'll do. Because uh, this is what I'll do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years, Take thine ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. Um, can I just put that in like that's the goal of most Americans is to retire? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Dang that. No, nobody's smiling like I'm smiling. That's, lit, that's what you're told. In this world, that's what you're told. The goal is to get to that place where you got enough stuff stored up, In your 401k. Right? And that you can eat and drink and just be married. You ain't got to do all that working stuff. If you could just retire. The, The Lord has a different opinion. Verse 20. But God said, Thou fool. I know, how dare God talk like this? Who does he think he is? Who died and made him God? Calling me a fool. I'll show you fool. Yeah, you will. This night, your soul shall be required of thee. See, it's verses like this that make people think that God kills folks. That's not true. He just said, your soul is going to be required. When you get a mortgage, you go to a bank and you say, I promise over the course of 30 or 50 or a gazillion years to pay you money. You promise to hold my deed and hold it safely. And maybe one day, if I'm lucky enough and win the lottery, I'll pay off my house. You'll give me the deed. And then I will own my house. So we have we negotiate that I will give you money. You will hold my deed safely. At the end of me giving you money, you will give me back my deed. The bank righteously and legally has the option at any point to call the loan due. Hopefully that made some of the hair on the back of your neck stand up. They have a legal right and a righteous, just right at any time to knock on your door and say, "Um, your loan's due. Pay it off today or we take the house. It's righteous. It's right. You know, God is judge. God has never given up and will never give up the righteous and just position that He and only He has, which is the judge of the final end of a person's life. And it is righteous and right and loving and godly. If a person lives their entire life wanting to be intimate with Satan, at the end of their life, God, righteous judge, will give them what they want, which is the rest of eternity with Satan. He doesn't send people to hell. He gives people what they want. They wanted hell. They wanted Satan. So he gives them what they want. And he's righteous and just in doing this. When he did this, he didn't kill, he it did, it didn't come down and say, well, I'm on like a killing spree, and today I'm gonna kill you. That's not what it is. His soul was being required. Now the cool thing is, my soul has been required. It, I was measured in my life. I was weighed in the balances, and I was found lacking. As good as, I wasn't good. As good as I thought I was, I was weighed and found lacking. And when I came to that realization, I came to God and I said, mercy! Mercy! I cannot save myself. I need help. I need a savior. And Jesus said, that's exactly what I did for you. I went to the cross that you deserved. I died for the sins and the punishment that you committed. I took everything that you deserve, and I gave you what I deserve. Which is righteousness and holiness and eternity with the Father. Jesus is the only one that earned that. And so when my soul came due, I actually did the smart thing, as I realized that when my soul came due, I asked the Lord to take care of my soul. And now my soul is eternity, eternally secure. Kinda. I don't want to get into that. That, that is righteous and just for God to do that. So when he said, fool, <laughs> your soul's required. This had to do with the fact that everybody gets to that place where there is a requirement of your soul. And God said to him, Thou fool, this night thy shoal shall be required of thee. Then whose, now check this out, then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? Hey, where do all your toys go when you die? Big guy with the truck. To a bunch of kids who are going to fight over it and sue each other. Amen? So it happens all the time. They fight for years and years and years and get lawyers and then the lawyers end up with all the money. Don't you know they're like, thanks for the inheritance. (laughs) But I got my fourteen thousand dollars and the and the lawyer got twenty eight. You're a fool. It'd be better off giving your kids the whole thing, or your siblings or whatever. This is what Jesus is going to. If your father has provided an inheritance to you, why do you care whether your earthly family gives you an inheritance or not? And does it compare? (laughs) Amen. What mom and Jim can give me when they decide to cross the finish line maybe before me, maybe, what they can give me compares nothing to what my Father in Heaven is going to give me. And so I'm not looking forward to anything they have. I'd rather have them stay here. Because they're doing awesome. Elders in the church. They're amazing people. They're seeing all this incredible stuff happen in the kingdom. The sick healed. Mom can love a devil. It's, it's amazing what they got going on. Verse 21, So is he that lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. He, he drew a parallel for folks in the kingdom and folks out of the kingdom, how they operate the same way. I know you're thinking, like, well, no, if you're in the kingdom, you operate a different way. Jesus literally differentiated the difference between seeing the kingdom and being in the kingdom. It's one thing to see the kingdom and see it operating. This is when people get mad. Well, that preacher's got an airplane. How dare a preacher have an airplane? Don't have a problem with you, Hefner having an airplane. And they both have a gospel. Hugh Heppner has the gospel of pornography and, and, and child abuse and, and Jesus has the gospel of the kingdom. And they're both traveling on their airplanes and presenting their gospels and we're mad at the preacher because he's got a plane. You know, Budweiser has a lot of airplanes. Anybody mad at them? It's amazing. You can be rich towards God. God actually stores in heaven. This is where people get messed up. You can live your life in such a way. You can have works and actions in life in such a way that produces eternal benefits and treasures. Or you can live your life in such a way and people do it all the time, that at the end of your life, you have nothing but Jesus. And the cool thing is, is that nothing but Jesus? (laughs) It's okay. It's okay. But Paul, Peter, all that Jesus, all of these writers knew that there was way more that was going on than getting to the end. They realized that this was the shortest thing that they would ever do for the rest of eternity. That all of the things they do or don't do down here have massive, massive impact in their eternity. Jesus specifically said there are some people that are going to be in charge of nothing, some people in charge of five cities, and some people in charge of ten cities. He didn't say that because He was telling a cool parable and like, hey, maybe... You can be cool too. He was literally saying that there are going to be differentiations in how people live out eternity based upon how faithful and how much of a good steward they are down here. You cannot earn salvation. You cannot work for salvation. You cannot earn righteousness. You cannot earn healing. You cannot earn all of the benefits that Jesus died to give you as a finished work of the cross. But what you do with the things that you've been given is very, very important. And so many people live their Christian life they are just saying, Well, I'm safe. I'm good. I paid my fire insurance. Good to go. Just leave me alone. There is way more to it than that. It's not just about paying your fire insurance and making sure you get to heaven. Because I'll tell you, the people that think that they paid their fire insurance 27 years ago at youth camp, and you've lived like a demon ever since, Maybe your fire insurance elapsed. (laughs) Bad language and good doctrine. I want to skip down to verse 29. And seek not ye, remember these are the verses that we've normally started with. And seek not ye what ye shall eat, what ye shall drink, neither be ye doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after. And your father knows. Your father knows. What you need. Man, I know I feel like I'm kicking a dead horse, but this is so important. We spend so much mental energy on what we need. And the whole time the Father's like, I got this. Seek the kingdom first. Let me take care of you. Uh, For all these things do the nations, people who don't have covenant with God, People who don't have covenant with God, they have to seek after these things. And your Father knows that you have need of these things. You, people that have covenant with God, who trust God, who love God, who've committed yourself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, you rather seek the kingdom of God. And all these things will be added unto you. And then Jesus says something cool in the the Luke version of this. He says, fear not, little flock. It is your Father's good will. To give you the kingdom. What's in the kingdom? Everything you can ever possibly imagine that is good for you. And nothing that is bad for you. Verse 33, after Jesus said that, He said, sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourself bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that fails not. You can literally send things from here to eternity. Did you know that? I can give the Lord a gift from my heart. And it has this miraculous way of getting from this natural realm into the heavenly realm. And my Father takes care of it. And I get to see it again in the future. You can do that. But if you just give money, it's paper. It's going to eventually burn up. But if you give money that has your heart attached to it, the money becomes temporal, but your heart has the ability to ascend into the eternity. If you just give money to give money, temporal, it burns up. Ashes. If you give your heart and your money together. That's why Jesus said, don't you dare give unless you're doing it from the heart. Because the heart is what produces the eternity. Amen. Sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourself bags which wax not old. A treasure in the heavens that fails not. Where no thief approaches, neither moth corrupts. So we know there's no thieves or moths, I guess, in heaven. Verse 34, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The reason I said that about the moth thing is because I've actually heard preachers say, well, God had a reason for inventing the mosquito. I'm like, God didn't make the mosquito, Satan made the mosquito. God didn't make anything to suck blood. What is wrong with you? Dear Jesus. I can make fun of preachers because I is one. (laughs) You can. Especially this one. Matthew 13. Three verses. I'm gonna be done with three verses. Stay with me. Amen. I know it's warm in here and all you, some of you got the thing going on. Three verses. Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13 is stock full of kingdom revelation. I'd encourage you to read Matthew chapter 13. Verse 44. Again, which Obviously he transitions from what he was saying. The kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hidden a field, the which when a man has found he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he has and buyeth that field. Many uh preachers, theologians uh interpret this parable as Jesus finding the treasure which is us in the field of the world. And then buys the entire field with his sacrifice in order just to get us. And that is a perfectly valid interpretation of this parable. I will not argue with that. But, I believe that what Jesus was literally referencing was the kingdom. That the kingdom should have this measure of valuableness in our lives that we are literally willing to do whatever it takes to get in excess of the kingdom just so we could get the kingdom part. The way that transitions in our heart is, let's say you think that maybe God wants me to do this and I'm not fully, fully sure. And then this thing over here is a little bit of a lesser thing. Now, the average Christian would say, "Well, if God, if it looks like I have two options, and the lesser one might be God, totally taking that one because it's easier, because that's the world that we live in. We want everything easy. We want everything comfortable. We want everything fast." What the what this kingdom principle is enumerating is that. If the easy one might be God and the hard one might be God, you'd be better off doing double the hard one. And buy the whole field. Because when you get that treasure part of it, it's going to be more than worth it. I know this is totally contrary to the world, but remember the kingdom of God is the upside-down kingdom. The world says if you need money, beg, borrow, steal... Hold on to, don't let anybody touch. Jesus says, if you need money, give it, because the seed produces after itself. And I know most of you don't believe that, but it, that's what Jesus said. the The upside down kingdom says that if this is the minimum requirement, if this is the C that gets you past tenth grade, then what you should shoot for is A plus 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 perfection, and B. The valedictorian. Because if you're the valedictorian, you will definitely get the information that you needed to get in what was presented to you. We need to stop thinking about barely getting by. We need to stop thinking that the kingdom's really not worth it. Okay, preacher, so what do I got to do just for everything to be okay in my life? Give me the three top things that I maybe can do. And I've had people do that to me, and I've basically walked away from the conversation. I'm not saying that I just said, the heck with you, but I'm saying, like, look, if if that's your attitude towards it, what's the point? You're not even going to do those. If you can't do the littlest thing, which is have a a good godly attitude towards it, you're obviously not going to do the big thing which is pushed through temptation and, and uh, all of the persecution of people around you and, and the stuff that it takes for you to push through, you know, be not weary and well-doing, for in due season you shall reap if you faint not. If you can't even have a positive attitude you can't be willing to have these things happen, how in the world do you think you're ever going to fully manifest all the things that you need in order to have those things? And so I usually don't give them anything. Go home, read your Bible, pray, whatever. And come back and see me when your heart's really asking. I can tell when somebody really wants to do it because if I give them something hard, they'll say, okay, that's what it takes. And you can tell. Hey, read this book. I'll talk to you in a week. And come back in a week. Did you read the book? Oh, I, I forgot I had that book. Amen? That you can tell. And don't you know the Father does? And the kingdom of God, Bob says this all the time, the kingdom of God works by the heart. And if you're not going to attach your heart to this stuff, if you're not going to treasure, last two verses. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls. Who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had, So he could buy that one pearl. Now, if you hadn't heard this, you know, a gazillion times or read through it or whatever, you'd be like, blah, 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 pearl, 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 whatever. I want you to think about this. This guy was a pearl merchant. He knew pearls. Whatever your thing is, everybody in here, you got a thing. There's something you know that you probably are the best in knowing that in the room. And I'm being for real. Cuz everybody has you you got a taste, you got things that you treasure, things that you like, things you research, things whatever, things you do. Some of you can can, you know, if you worked at Titan Tire for 40 years, you can put a bead on a tire like nobody. Like you're the bead king or queen or whatever. So there's things, there's something in here that you have a really really Good specialty at, or you know, or you're really, that's the thing. So whatever that thing is for you, transition pearl to that thing. You know that thing. Like, I've met people, like, with baseball cards. Like, well, no, this baseball card with this edge and the thing, this is worth about, you know, $67. And I'm like, this thing is worth nothing. I don't even know the guy. (laughs) Your thing. Your thing. This is a pearl merchant. He knew pearls. You should be, above all things, you should be a kingdom merchant. You should be able to see the value of kingdom things above all things. If you see a a 2004 convertible 40th anniversary red Mustang drive-by, Where's Scott? Ah. (laughs) Amen. I know, right? Right. (laughs) Those of you that didn't catch on, it's because that's an inside story we'll tell you about later. So if you've seen that drive-by and you're like a car guy, you say $3,800. That's what it's worth. What is laying hands on the sick worth? I don't know, Pastor. What is having your finances being done and ruled by God? What's that worth? Let me ask you this. This will go close to home. What is peace worth? No, I mean like peace. I can tell you it's one of the most valuable things in the kingdom. I lay my head down every night of my life. In near perfect peace. Because I know that I spent that day making sure that I was seeking the Father's heart. And being right with Him. It doesn't always work? No. Are there people that have differing opinions about my activities? Of course. But I know that I know. Like the Apostle Paul said in Acts chapter 28. O Festus, I stand before you with a clean conscience from all men. When I go to bed, I make sure that I go to bed with a clean, clear conscience so that I can rest in peace. Because peace has no value. You can't buy it. I've known tons of rich people. They try to buy it, and it makes it worse. They try to buy it in the arms of a woman that they paid for. They try to buy it in their toys, and they never get it. Hollywood's filled with it. They think that they go from this wife to this wife to this wife. Eventually, they'll get the right wife. The problem is they're the broken one. They go from this drug to this drug to this drug because this drug ain't doing it. I need a new drug when it won't make me sick. And you don't just, you don't get to that one drug and it's like,
0: how oh, great, I found the great.
1: No, there is none. You, the higher you get, the worse it gets. Peace. What's the value of peace? What's the value of it to you? Is the value of it to walk away from that offensive conversation? To not engage? <laughs> it just got quiet up in here, didn't it? But no, I gotta defend my rights and I gotta tell that person how I feel. I need to put my two cents in. Ain't nobody, nobody want your two cents. And that's about what it's worth. If you could see the kingdom as a merchant of kingdom, you would sell everything in your life today. Today. Remember time, money. Affection. You would sell all of your time, you would sell all of your money, and you would sell all of your affection just so you could have that one pearl. And then Jesus told us, make sure you don't throw that pearl before swine. You can have it. It just depends... And whether you see the value of it and you're willing to give up those things that you probably held really close and really dear. You're willing to give them up to have the pearl of great price. Jesus did it. He gave up the presence with the Father. He gave up heaven. All of the angels worship in him. Perfection. So he could be born inside a bloody womb and placed in a feeding trough. And lied about, maligned, spit on, have his beard pulled out, whipped, scourged, devalued, unappreciated. He went through all of that because you were the pearl that he was buying. And it irks me like no other when you talk bad about yourself, when you devalue yourself, when you say terrible language about yourself after Jesus bought you? How dare you? The way you determine the value of an object is what someone is willing to pay for it. And Jesus was willing to pay for you with His blood. So how valuable are you? You are equal to the blood of of God the kingdom is the pearl that you should be seeking for and the father gave you an example as to how that looks like because you were the pearl that he was seeking for it took him 4,000 years it took a virgin birth It took thousands of prophetic words. It took blood, sweat, and tears from your Savior, but He got that pearl. And if you're willing to put in what the Father was willing to put in, you're going to have the same reaping that the Father reaped. All right. I'd like everybody else to please rise. I want to pronounce a blessing over you.
0: Much for sharing a few moments with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of His precious life-changing word. If you would like to learn more about the ministry of Pastor Steve Castle and Beloved Church, please visit us online at belovedchurchillinois.com or call us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are part of the beloved family of God, and at Beloved Church, this is where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life.
1: Beloved, I pray, I desire, I declare that above all things that you allow the finished work of the cross to bring prosperity into your finances and also divine health prospering your body and all of these things are going to affect you in a supernatural way. As you allow your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions, and your personality to be perfected in prosperity that the Father desires for you to have. We love you, and we cannot wait to see and be with you again soon. Goodbye, beloved.